Welcome to Style Section, the Wise Guy Podcast. I'm Dan. And I'm Sheila. <laughs> For once, we could do an official podcast without saying you're Dr. Redman. It's fantastic. Uh, but your, uh, your expertise in the world of psychology is not going to be as necessary when talking about Wise Guy. Although I'm sure it'll come up. Oh, uh, yes, but it's not... It's not central to the premise of the show. Not at all. Unless uh, you can call the psychology of the gangster a premise, but well, I mean, no, I'm I don't sure think it is. We will. Well, again, we're going to yeah. talk about that a little, but it's not the yeah. same thing at all. No, not uh, at all. All right. Uh, so, yes, this is episode zero, which is a weird thing to have. I 100% agree <laughs> that it's a weird thing to have an episode zero of a podcast. But before we start talking about Wise Guy, it's important to fully contextualize what Wise Guy is, how it came to be, and why it was so important. And to do that, you have to talk about the show Crime Story. Yeah, I, I do think you have to talk about the story. Yeah, the show. Yeah, like how sure. Crime Story happened. So, uh, to give you a bit of a, uh, like... The, you could do a whole podcast about the lead up to crime story uh, because what happened was, and this is very, very interesting. So Michael Mann, uh, famous film director and television producer, Michael Mann, uh, who was, of course, involved in Miami Vice, uh, had created this movie called Thief. And Thief told the story of Frank uh, Hoheimer, uh, which uh, is that's who wrote the book. Obviously, that's not the main character's name. But he wrote this book called The Home Invaders. And he was a real guy. And that's who Frank, is, that's who the character Frank in the movie, played by James Caan, is based on. Yeah. And so he wrote this book and he he loved it. He yeah, Sorry, he wrote this book. Michael Mann loved it. He said, we got to make this into a movie. They did. And that is the, I'm going to say, pretty damn good movie, Thief. Yeah, I, you know, I mean, it's still, it still reeks of the 70s. Yeah, That's all it's, I can it's say. a slow movie. It's a meandering movie. Yes. Uh, lots of intense people staring at each other. It is, it might have been made in 90, 1981, right? But it was very much uh, a child and a production of the 70s. Yeah, that, there that. is no question when you watch it, but. But it's, it is a good movie. It's, I was mightily impressed. Yeah, it's a very good movie, very Thief. intense. A fantastic performance by James Caan, right? Yeah. And what's interesting about this is, and this is where Crime Story happens, because he meets, when he's doing his research for making Thief, he goes to Chicago, where all these guys were from, and he meets all the cops in Chicago, and he meets all the criminals in Chicago. Because everybody, and this is the key part, everybody's happy to talk about their life. Yeah. Like everybody. <laughs> criminals love to talk about their life. That's why we have, you know, the book wise guy, which became Goodfellas. Criminals can't yeah. get enough of talking about themselves, and the same at the same with cops. And he fell in love with this world to the to the point where, like, a surprisingly large percentage of the movie's cast. So you got all your main characters, and then you got the supporting people who are the cops and the criminals. So the mob guys and the cops, and nearly every mob guy in the movie is played by a real life Chicago cop, and nearly every cop in the movie is played by a real-life Chicago mobster. And that was his funny little thing. But that's how we got the uh, wonderful career of the, you know, sadly departed Dennis Farina. He mm -hmm. was a detective 
in Chicago at the time. This was his first movie role. And he loved the acting so much that he retired from being a cop and moved into acting full time. So this movie is why we have Dennis Farina. Yeah. But, but the key part is John Santucci, who's another professional thief and along with and some of the stuff that happens in the movie is based on his stories as well as Frank Hoheimer's book. Right. Yeah. John Santucci had all of these stories uh, about this guy he knew called Tony the Ant Spilatro. And Tony the Ant Spilatro was uh, just a madman. Like, he loved robbing people more than anything else. He loved the thrill of robbery. And they sent him down. They sent Tony in the 70s to Las Vegas to look over the casinos and make sure the casinos are running smoothly and everybody got their money because the mobs had paid to build a huge number of the casinos in Vegas. But Tony who loved the feeling of being an outlaw more than he loved making money, Yeah, decided that since, well, since we, the mob, runs the whole city anyway, why don't we just steal everybody blind while I'm down here? He couldn't deal with the boredom of just making, of like making money hand over fist. So he's like, I have got to just start robbing people blind and making all the money myself because he loved the thrill and he loved the action more than he loved the spoils of war. And if any of this sounds familiar to you, it's because it's the plot of the movie Casino. Yeah. And Michael Mann loved these stories that John Santucci was telling him so much about Tony Spilatro that he's like, we've got to make a show about this. And, you know, fresh off the sex, uh, success of the stylized violence, you know, cop stories of Miami Vice, they said, we're going to do that. And it's going to be stylized, and we're going to tell the exact story of what's going on right now today in Vegas, but we're going to set it in the 1960s. And so that long preamble is the story of how we got the show Crime Story. Crime Story. Yeah. And that is that is how we get from Michael Mann. Oh, and there's, there's one actual uh, minor step in there, which is he tried to write a TV show pilot uh, uh -huh. about... Like, the, the first version of Crime Story, the idea he had was the the premise that would, like, a guy who was a really intense thief and the cops trying to catch him. He wrote it first as a TV pilot called L.A. Takedown, which would not get made for years and years. And even then, they never made it as a show. They only made it as a, like, he shot the pilot movie and then... It didn't go anywhere. It aired as a pilot. And then he later adapted into the movie Heat. But it was all the same pool of ideas that led from Thief to L.A. Takedown to Crime Story to Heat. So it's all kind of like the same idea in Michael Mann's head and him trying to find different ways to get it on screen. Yeah, and he could use the money he was making from Miami Vice. Exactly. <laughs> from his association <laughs> with Miami Vice. <laughs> Okay, so uh, let's get into Crime Story. Okay. Uh, let's get into Crime Story. Uh, so I think the <sighs> thing that Crime Story... I don't know if it is the most the thing it's most famous for, but the thing it should be the most famous for is having like, just the most incredible cast of a TV show ever. Like, is that going too far? Honestly, I don't think so. It was... Um... It was bizarre. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it was really bizarre watching through this 
the two seasons on the, the heels okay because what i did was i went through a wise guy from beginning to end yeah and i've never sort of watched them together yeah and then i thought oh well we're gonna do crime stories i'm gonna have to go through crime story again <laughs> because the problem with crime story is the first season is really good yeah and the second season it goes completely off the rails it kind of goes it starts slow and then it gets crazy slower. and kind of ruins the whole show <laughs> <laughs> and well it just gets really 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 hard yeah to to slog through it, it felt like a slog in the second season this would be maybe the third or the fourth time i've watched it yeah. um and that that second season so but yes, as far as the cast is concerned, that's a whole other story. What I was going to say was, I thought you were going to say, it should be famous for its its um, its theme song. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Del Shannon, who uh, did the song Runaway back in the 60s, came and recorded a new version of Runaway to be the theme song for this. Song the show. for this. And it, it is fabulous. It is. So anyway, and, and the whole, yes, the intro is just great. It's but yes. Beautiful. The, the thing here is, yes, you have a cast that was unbelievable. And most a lot of them had to be unknowns. And then so many of them showed up. Went on to him. became famous. Yeah. Yeah. Went and on to became pretty damn famous. Again, Julia Roberts' first job was in an episode of Crime Story. Mm-hmm. Like before Mystic Pizza, she was on an episode of Crime Story. Crime Story, yeah. Yeah, like I mean, in the first episode, David Caruso's in it. The very first episode yeah. of the show, David I, Caruso is the young kid from the neighborhood who just went to college. And, you know, Dennis Farina would like him to get out of uh, the mob life because that's the milieu they all grew up in. But yeah. he's going to use his college, you know, his college smarts to figure out a better way to drill safes, which is exactly what he does. Yeah. No, I mean, it's amazing. Michael Magnus, all you have to do is go down, down the cast. I mean, for heaven's sake, Gary Sinise was in it. Yeah. Gary Sinise was on the show. Uh, Kevin Spacey was on the show. We're going to be talking a lot about Kevin Spacey going forward. Just FYI. Oh, yeah. Trigger warning on that one. Kevin Spacey is going to be coming up quite a bit in about five weeks. So uh, look yeah. forward to that. <laughs> Yeah, well, and the thing is, is though in this show it's not so bad. Oh no, no. because he's in just this there show, for one episode. no, he's just there. For, not only that, but he's a sleazy guy. So you're going, yeah, yeah, you yeah, know, I believe true it. to form. He's playing, <laughs> uh, he's playing Bobby Kennedy, basically. Yeah, uh, he's playing Bobby Kennedy as a senator who you know wants to run for president, and he gets you know all uh, tangled up with a Marilyn Monroe insert, and well, you know. You, know you can story. see where the story, yeah. we all know that story. Yeah. We all know where that story is going. Yeah. Patty Darbinvale, who shows up again. Yeah. Ving Rhames is in it. Yeah. William Russ is in it. Like, it's amazing. Yeah. William it Russ is, is in just, the very first episode. Just about everybody, like the girl, and I can never remember her name, in the rag trade one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She shows up. She she shows up in this, yeah. in here. Um, Miles Davis, for God's sake, plays himself. Yep. Ted Levine is in yep. it as a fake version whose name is only slightly changed of Frank Hoheimer. He plays Frank Holman uh, in the uh, uh, in the show. And he is, 
quite explicitly based on the guy from the home invaders who wrote the book that thief was based on like they're not coy about at, the, at all the fact that that who he's playing uh, that's who he's playing and of course it was done with frank holman's permission because you know why would he not want to be, continue being famous yes just paul sense. gilfoy paul, paul gilfoy who would of course go on to be incredibly famous as the cop on csi yeah who's on the show yes. Tom yeah. Waits, but there was some, there's, there's a couple, oh, Lorraine Bracco, yep. who everybody should know from The Sopranos. Yeah, and then, and the crazy part is, and this is the thing that it's like, I didn't remember until I watched it. So there's an actor named Stephen Lang. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the actor Stephen Lang. He's a very solid performer. He plays a, a gruff, older, frequently military type a lot. He was the bad guy, you know, the army guy in, um, what's that movie called? Uh, the James Cameron Avatar. Avatar. He was the bad guy in Avatar. He's the bad guy in Don't Breathe. You know, he plays the same kind of gruff military guy over and over again. And he's done very well for himself doing that. And I didn't recognize that it was him as one of the main characters in this show. Because in this show, he plays David Abrams, who is the the Jewish lawyer who works with the team. Yeah. And it's important. It's uh, weird to say, I know it's weird for me to point out that he's Jewish, but it's actually vitally important for the show because yeah. his dad was a functionary in the Jewish mob. Yeah. Right. And that is why, and the Jewish and Italian mobs had always been incredibly tight back in the day. So yeah. the bad guy in the show, Ray, Ray Luca, David Abrams has essentially known about or known his whole life because of how connected his dad was. Yeah, and that, and that factors a lot into the stories into the story i'm just trying to look you know i mean you just look at these Stephen mccaddie for heaven's sakes yep Stephen mccaddie was on it andrew dice clay yes plays, plays a major playing, role and this is the key part playing the same character that robert de niro plays in the movie casino <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so hey if you ever wanted to compare uh pacino sorry pacino de niro and andrew dice clay's ability <laughs> To play the same character. We have a way to do that. Michael Madsen was in it. Yeah, Michael Madsen was in it. Like, it's all huge. Pam Greer was a recurring character on the Pam show. Pam Greer, yes. The girlfriend. Yeah. I know. I was I was saying Black Velvet, right? Yeah. Black Velvet? Uh, no. Uh, no. God. What's it called? Oh, Velvet Brown. You um, know. Yeah, no, no. Uh, she was in Jackie Brown, of course, most recently. Yeah. But back in the day. But in the 70s, she was in Velvet. No. Oh, God. Yeah. Okay. I'm just going to look it up. Okay. You've got IMDb I've got IMDb open. I'll just look it up. What's she? Yeah. yeah, What's the part? She she was Foxy Brown. And she was was Coffee and she was Foxy Brown. There you go. That's what it is. Uh, The one with Velvet in the title was one of the ripoffs of... uh, (laughs) One of the ripoffs of Coffee. But there you go. So yeah, she was okay. uh, she was coffee and she was fantastic. But it's like, and Ray Sharkey appears in it. And, of course. I mean, people I, listening to this now who don't watch a lot of 80s television won't know who Ray Sharkey was. But again, we're going to spend the next five weeks talking about how incredible a performer Ray Sharkey is. Yeah. So get to know him now. He played yeah. a, <laughs> he played a, a, D, a U.S. attorney and he was fantastic on the show. But it's like, you go through this list of cast and you're like, all of these people I would go on to see in bigger, more important roles were yeah. on this show before they were famous. Yeah. As I said, Michael Madsen was in it. Yeah, Michael Madsen. I didn't mention that. 
You yeah. did. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Michael Kevin. Wincott was in two episodes. One of my favorite yeah. actors. Michael Wincott was in two episodes. Again, like the Billy Campbell, people... you haven't Oh well you will talk about Billy Campbell in a minute, because Billy yeah. Campbell's story is kind of fantastic. Um yeah. Uh so well yeah, I'll get to that in a second. But the main cast is uh is what, six guys. You know? <laughs> yeah. Dennis Farina it is Bill Smithovich, who, of course, would go on to a co-star in Millennium until he got killed off halfway through the first season. Not supposed to happen, but he did not get along. However, he's more famous Titanic for season. Monk. Um, no, not Bill. You're thinking of Ted Levine. Oh, Ted Levine, excuse yeah, yeah, me, is in yeah. Monk. Bill Smithovich, yeah. yeah. Uh, no, Bill Smithovich. Never mind. Uh, plenty, you, again, one of those actors, 100% you know. Steve Ryan, same thing. Billy Campbell would go on to be the Rocketeer, starring Now and Again, just a hundred different shows. Um, uh, the That one, the, the high-quality show about the murder in the Pacific Northwest, it was based on a, du not Dutch, like an Icelandic show. I don't remember what it was called right now, but he was in that. He was in the 4400. Like, Billy Campbell has worked constantly, but his giant first break was getting cast in this show. A but show also, that he was credited with for 40 episodes, and I would guess in that time he had 38 lines. That would be my <laughs> guess for how little Billy Campbell is used in this show. Is that a fair guess? Yeah, yeah. You're going, who's that? Yeah. He, he yeah, does nothing on this show. It's well, so yeah, sad. but he's the young guy. He's the he's young, the young guy. kid. Yeah, he's the young he's kid. The kid. He's, he's the kid. You know, so. And had they developed his relationship with Dennis Farina at all, I'd say that was a, a great you know, role, but they, they never do. Like, no, it's, it's very strange. The other thing, Oh, the other thing is, is the guy who plays, who owns the town. Yeah. That William Russ has to replace, uh, Vinny. In, in, yeah. in wise guy. Yeah. He's the guy who it. owns the town. He's in here too. Oh yeah. A Basically, couple of episodes. I mean, everybody again, the, the wise guy casting people, well, some of them previously worked on this show and a bunch of the writers, and I think one or two of the directors previously worked on this show and they made it their business to bring back all of the actors that they had enjoyed on uh, Crime Story were brought back in Wise Guy. Yeah, it, it, I mean, it really is amazing. Yeah. And one of the most fascinating things is the relationship between... Um, uh, what's his Stephen Lang? Uh, not Stephen Lang. Tony Dennison plays Ray yeah. Luca, who's the show's villain. And again, yeah. uh, this is the uh, to compare it to Casino, a much more famous thing. Uh, this is the and now I'm blanking on his name. Oh, it's, it's just one of those days, yeah. you know, from Goodfellas. The, the the Robert De Niro and okay, yes, um... I'm blanking on who plays Tommy in Goodfellas. This is really bad. My cousin Ooh. Vinny. You're you're providing a surprisingly I, okay. small amount of no, help no. here. No, no, J just slow down. I can see him. Of course, of course okay. Uh, <laughs> Joe Pesci. His name's Joe, Joe Pesci. Pesci. His name's Joe yeah. Pesci. I was it's just one say, of those days. Joe Pesci, I'm Joe sorry Pesci. if you were screaming Joe Pesci at us. We deserve to be screamed at for forgetting <laughs> the name Joe Pesci. How could you forget Joe uh, Pesci? Yeah. Uh, so Anthony Dennison is playing uh, Joe Pesci in this. And what's interesting is in uh, in Goodfellas, Joe Pesci was completely miscast 
for uh, the playing Tommy in Goodfellas because the real guy was like this big hulking guy. And, you know, Joe Pesci's tiny. But the actually, he was called Tony the Antro- uh, Spilatro because he was a tiny guy. Like mm-hmm. a tiny guy with a chip on his shoulder. Like that's the actual dude. Uh, whereas Tony Dennison is a tall, handsome man. So he, yeah. he was he's yeah. not representative of the real guy at all. Uh, but yeah, it's a show about how this guy, fundamentally, it's a show about how this guy can't take success, you know, can't just be successful, right? Yeah. He cannot, uh, he cannot accept his level of success. He's like, he always, he likes taking things more than he likes having things. Yes. And he also can't roll with the punches. Never. No. <laughs> he can't That's let anything problem. slide. He can't take an insult. He can't let anything slide. He can't, you know, negotiate. Yeah. And one of the funniest scenes in the show, I thought, was um, there's the scene where they're going to one of their front operations. And I think it's a bottling plant. Mm. And and John Polito, right? Uh, John uh, John Polito, who, of course, famous from the Coen Brothers movies, um, especially in Lewis Crossing, is playing the mob boss who's partnered with him in his front operation. And there's this wonderful moment where the guys, la, uh, where... Ray Luca's explaining that it's a front operation. It's how they clean their money. And John Polito can't understand the importance of that. Like, fundamentally, he can't get why they haven't just busted this place out. Got, you know, bored a bunch of money on it, stripped it for parts, and burned it down. Yeah. And he demands that they do that. And you get this great thing because it mirrors, like, that guy's unwillingness to change. And, like, Ray Luca is so frustrated by it. But at the same time, that's exactly how he is. Yeah, he is exactly the same in an unwillingness to change and develop adapt. and move for, adapt to the new way the world works. Yeah, it's kind of fascinating because again, but he, the he funny could just thing sit is, there and is he's, money. and Please. he's ultimately the architect of the new way the world is working. Oh, absolutely. I mean, in this show, your central character Ray Luca, yeah, right, is is the architect. He's the Oh, now I can't remember his name from the 50s who got <laughs> murdered, you know, who did oh, the yeah. same uh, thing with Bugsy Las Vegas. Siegel. Bugsy, Bugsy Siegel. Siegel. Yeah. Okay, Bugsy Siegel. He's very much like Bugsy that Siegel. And they make reference. Yeah. They make reference to Bugsy Siegel. Oh, a bunch. Yeah. A bunch in this, you know, and Bugsy Siegel, too, went too far and was too soon in some ways. Ray Luca eventually goes to far oh does he ever and and it it just can't be taken but he is the architect of the new world of the mobsters who are creating these um essentially businesses right who are turning the mob into a business that wants to go 100 percent legitimate and yes he again it's so funny because he he talks a big game about that. And it's why he's such a fascinating, fearing, infuriating character. Right? Yeah. He talks a big game about moving them into legitimate businesses and making them essentially a, a, cor- a giant corporate interest. The way everything else is where it's like, we all are going to have shares in the outfit and we're all going to share in the profits of the outfit equally because we all did our, like, it's, it's not like, oh, these guys are going to handle heroin and these guys are going to handle, you know, kidnapping. And these guys, it's like, 
they're all going to be part of an organization and they're all going to share in that organization equally. So there aren't going to be any more wars because they're all making money. And if, if you think that this is neoliberalism, yes, this is what neoliberalism <laughs> is. It's the idea that if you expand free markets everywhere, people are going to be too busy to make making money in order to fight one another. Right? That's, yeah. that's the whole neoliberal project. That's what Ray Luca wants out of the mob. Yeah. And, but the problem is even he can't stop like getting into the macho domination games. Well, there, I mean, basically you've got a bunch of sociopaths. Yeah. And some of them are psychopaths, but, yeah. but basically you've got a bunch of sociopaths and the, they can't do what has to be done. They can't make the compromises that have to be made. No. And somebody's always going to get, killed yeah they can't swallow their prize at yeah. the end of the day none of them can swallow their pride because and i mean uh we go to the end of the wire in marlo stanfield where it's like you know he's never gonna make it because for him everything is respect it and that's who these type of characters are everything mm -hmm. is the respect because on the street the respect of your toughness, like the respect of how tough you were, is how you survived. It's how you turned a profit. The only thing you had backing you up was that if someone messed with you, you would kill them. And if you got killed, a bunch of people were going to kill the people who killed you, right? It's all about how tough you seem to everyone around you. And being able to scare people off is your only currency in that world. Yeah. But now they want to move into being legitimate businessmen. And that's no longer the currency. Like, that's no longer what they have to deal with. And all of them, including Ray Luca, have a serious problem adapting. Like adapting to that. Thank you. I couldn't come up with the word adapting. Adapting yeah. to that world. They just can't do it. And they keep causing problems for themselves. Yeah. It's, it's a fascinating show. And it's such an interesting premise. But that's, that's talking about it. Like the whole show was just about Ray Luca's business and the cops trying to stop him. And it's not. And that's not. where the show gets into trouble. Because <laughs> they still do case of the week episodes. <laughs> well, you know, they haven't kind of made the shift yet. No, they right? haven't made the shift. This is, and this is what basically Stephen Cannell must have watched this and oh, said, I course. can fix this. Yeah. I can is, fix this, and that's how we get wise guy. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. Like, Be if if there is like the reason wise guy couldn't happen without this show, and it's not because of the writers who worked on both, and it's not because the casting people, although they're important. It's the fact that wise guy is t is looking at this show and saying, "What did we do wrong on? Uh, what do we did we do wrong on the show Crime Story?" And the fact is, and what they came up with with was. It gets frustrating after a while that these guys can never catch Ray Luca. Well, yeah, and <clears throat> and it yes, it gets very frustrating. And the first year isn't so bad. No. But when it gets to that second year and I mean and the ending of how it ends that second year is a riot. It's it's hilarious how crazy it the show goes in the second the, season. We'll talk about that in a minute, but let's let's yeah, focus on let's, the first legitimate season. Yeah, and that first, first. season, okay, yes, There's Ray so Lucas, much good stuff. Um, there is because it's about the mob wars that built Vegas. 
Yeah, and what I will tell you too, right? The one thing that you have to watch and you, I mean, I guess people watch Criminal Minds, so consequently, <laughs> uh, but this is different. Even the level of violence in this show is It's so casually brutal. And even the cops, like you can see why this is, and the reason they wrote it sort of, they said it in that 60s, this is pre-Miranda warning. Yep. And if you watch this show, you damn well know why they came out with the Miranda warning. <laughs> why they needed police reform. Jesus. They needed massive police reform. These cops I mean, are brutal. Yeah, they are. There is no, <laughs> there is no covering any of that up. No. There's no right? hiding from it at all. At all. They are not, like, you can't like these people. No. And it's weird watching it in at today, right? Yes. Because people back in the past, I guess, could more non-critically just enjoy these cops beating up criminals. But watching it today, you're like, Jesus Christ, they oh. really needed to dial these cops back. Yeah, and... It it you see it in other shows. Yeah. Um, when you go back and look, I mean, for heaven's sakes, you even look at I see you've been watching Peter Gunn again. And you get that too, right? Oh, the yeah. whole thing is just a you know the whole is, different idea of what police and detective work looked like. Look like looked like and and the criminals are different. Um yeah. But, and then you have all of those other, um, but you go back and look at the story of the week's ones. Yep. You know, like you have um, the one set in LA Friday. Yeah, Joe Friday. Um, you're thinking of Dragnet. Dragnet, thank you. You know, where there's almost no violence. In some ways, except they push the criminals like, but you don't get what you have here is yeah. a level of violence that, well, it's you can understand I, I, but, what I would say about the violence here, like because Dragnet was specifically designed to be propaganda for the LAPD. Yeah. And I think, I mean, you watch this and you're kind of disgusted by what the cops do, but they're still the heroes of the show. And I don't think the show is not critical of them in the way they're presenting some of the violence i don't think it always is i think it enjoys its shootouts a lot like i think the show enjoys the action and wants to show them as heroic in these oh. shooting but when they're beating up people for information which happens a lot i don't know that the show is completely uncritical of that no there's a it is but remember this is the man who put together miami vice exactly okay and Miami Vice is a smoother version of this. of this. Oh, absolutely. Right? And um and it's set in Miami and it's beautifully <laughs> shot, right? Oh, yeah. So but this it is, it is, is lifestyle porn while also being a cop show. This this thing is you're going with these cops, um, the horrible people, like when he has to save his wife's second his ex-wife's second husband. Yeah. In the second season, it, it, it's a weird thing. But, you know, you kind of look at all of this. These people drink to excess, all of them. Yep. All of them, um, all the time. They're always, if they're not at work or in the unbelievably horrible 
um, the the motel they all live in in Los Angeles. Yeah. And they have they have no relationships yep. except with women they pick up, essentially. Yep. Um, I think is da- Danny Krychek has a family that yes. he manages. He's he manages to maintain a family, but none of the other ones do. No, because they can't with the schedules they keep and the kind of job they're doing. Well, and the kind of people that they are. Fundamentally, yeah. Yeah, fundamentally, these these are not people that can be in any they, way emotionally acceptable accessible in a way you need to be to have a real relationship. And there's all sorts of stuff with his wife, uh, with his complete inability to share, I mean, I'm sorry, I should have said Mike Torello in the first season. The yeah. One of the running storylines is about his complete inability to communicate with his wife. Yeah, it's unbelievably bad. Yeah, I like mean, he, it, he just, it is... He can't talk to this woman. He can't feel close to this woman. He can't let this woman into his life and it destroys their marriage. Yeah, and the only thing that he can do is get jealous or get angry. Yeah, those are the only That's... ways. Because he's like, he thinks of having a wife as this default and if anything threatens that, right? But he doesn't think of her as anything but this default part of his life. If anything yeah. threatens that, he gets jealous and protective. But he doesn't make any effort to make her feel important or in any way a part of her his life. His life, yeah. His she's an accessory, exactly. as they say. Yeah, a cop has to have married. a wife. Yeah, he, he should, should be, be married. married. So he he's a married. nice he's a nice Catholic boy. He should yeah. be married. Exactly. And his wife should not walk out on him. Oh, yeah. She's not allowed to leave him. And I think her leaving him is one of the more interesting things that happens in the first season. And that's why, like, I think the show is more understanding of how toxic this kind of macho police culture is than it has to be. I don't think the show has to be as critical of this as it is. And I think that makes it a more interesting show as a result. Yeah, it's but it's a fine line. Of course. Sometimes between the cops and the criminals. Oh, over and over again. And that's one of the themes of the show. And that's what he would, you know, explore more extensively in Heat, an L.A. takedown, of yeah. the idea that this uh, this guy who heists and this cop are two sides of the same coin. And there's a little of that here, but it's not really explored. But at the same time, both of the, these guys can't hold down healthy relationship. Both of these guys, they all drink too much and they all lo- use women and they're all too quick to violence. Yeah. Right? And like, they do have very similar personality types. You're absolutely right. And fun fact, um, the John Santucci, the guy who some of the stories in the movie Thief and a lot of the ones in this are based on, is actually in the show. Yeah. <laughs> Which is kind of crazy. He plays uh he plays Paul well, Taglia, who is Ray Luca's sidekick. Yeah. 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 And and the relationship between them is Is one of the more fascinating things in the show. And 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 one of one of the more fascinating and horrific oh, things it's, it's in a nightmare. the show. It's absolutely yeah. nightmarish because um, you know, Polly manages to start dating a uh a working girl. I mean we're yeah. not and she's a sex worker in Las Vegas, but I mean, that's normal. And Ray Luca in his monstrousness cannot, and this is the thing that triggers the end of the first season, right? Uh, you know, sexually assaults this woman because again, she's a sex worker and all women are just objects to be used. But he rapes her. Well, I think I made that clear with the sexual assault, <laughs> but, well, uh, 
But no, anyway, no. He, he rapes this woman just to prove. And again, it's to steal. It's just because he's pissed off. Yeah, just because about he's something off. else. And, he, and and there's this woman here. So boom, that's waiting what women for are Paul. for. And she's yeah. waiting for Polly. And again, in that moment, his relationship and like if with Polly completely evaporates because uh-huh. he wants and he needs something now and he doesn't care what it's going to do to Polly or his relationship with Polly. And that is the thing that makes Polly betray him and uh, go to the cops and go to the cops and give them all this information on Ray Luca. And then in one of the like most hard to watch sequences in the entire series, Polly yeah. like thinks about every, you know, like his life and how his life is going to be completely destroyed by betraying Ray Luca. And he starts to rationalize that Ray Everything. Luca raped his girlfriend. Yeah. And he that decides was, that it must have been her fault. It was so hard to watch. It's so disgusting. But he's like, he'll do anything to rationalize keeping his comfortable, mobbed up life going. Relationship with Ray Luca. Yeah. What's he going to do? Ray tells him what to do. Exactly. His whole life is obeying Ray Luca, being Ray Luca's gopher. And he can't stop doing that. So he has to come up with a story for why it's okay that he does this to this guy who raped his girlfriend. And the answer is he starts blaming her, you know? Yeah. And it it is actually one from of, the point of view. Okay. Yeah. No. No. You were I, what were you going to say? One, I, I was just going to say it's the hardest scene in the entire show to watch. I would say that's the hardest scene to watch. As she just she just stands there. She knows what he's doing. Yep. It's not like she doesn't know what he's doing, and she knows he doesn't really believe it. But he's got to. Yeah. If he's going to preserve this relationship with Ray Luca, he has to lie to himself. And yeah, you, and, and he's he's you know so clo- I mean she's crying, he is freaking out, you know, he's close to crying, but he has to come up with this justification. And so that's what he does. Oh god. It was a really really hard scene to watch. Yeah, incredibly well written, incredibly hard scene to watch. And then when Le- Ray Luca gets shot a bunch and ends up, you know, in this foot chase and the production of this show is insane by today's standards. They yes. literally close down the entire Las Vegas Strip for an entire night to have a car chase and gunfight in the actual Las Vegas Strip. It's, yeah, it was filmed. The on stuff location. they yeah it was filmed. It was all filmed on location, and the stuff they pulled off on this show is like you can't imagine a show being able to do that today. You know, like how. How could yeah. a show get the access that this show got in the mid 80s today? And the answer is there's no way they could. Like no. this show couldn't be made today. No. And, and oh wow. I know you want you want yeah, I mean that whole scene, right? And then Polly then goes shows up and he rescues Ray and they He flee. rescues Ray. And, and then flee. we have the <laughs> the funniest scene in the entire show. Oh, oh my god. It <sighs> was so he finds a place for them to, to hide, hide out. and it was a little cottage and you walk in and any of anybody who knows about nuclear testing at <laughs> knows all about the fake knows, knows what is going on. Yeah. Like the, the very first time you watch it. And I think in the eighties, we were all still so worried, worried about nuclear, about nuclear annihilation that, you know, that we, we had all this stuff still, fresh in our mind and we know. And so, and then, <laughs> So, you know, and then Ray picks up and he looks at it and he's 
calls Polly all sorts of names. Of right? course. How could she be so stupid? They're in this cottage and they get back in the car and they, that's the end of the second season. They drive off season. and they then drive a bomb off goes And the off. bomb goes off, right? And that it was we, a perfect, honestly, it's a perfect ending for Ray Luca as a character. Yeah. Because it should have, yeah. it, it, it should have ended there uh, because Ray Luca, like he had everything, right? He had everything. And then all of his, uh, you know, his ego was too big to let him keep it. And then he blew and then he dies in literally the most spectacular way a person can conceivably die blown up by a nuclear test in the nevada desert like yeah, yeah that's that's if you gotta go that's a pretty what amazing a way, to, way go. to go yeah and then the second season completely throws that away yeah that's that's the problem uh the second season then gets bizarro it starts off okay yeah it does there they assume he's dead yeah and other people are taking over Mm-hmm. Now, and so you start getting a lot a, more Max Goldman, which is the Andrew Goldman yes. Kelly Clark part. Yeah, and he's doing well. Yep. Everybody's doing well now that Ray Luca's dead. Gone. Yeah. yeah, now that Ray Luca's gone, because Ray Luca has the support of Manny Weisberg. Yeah, who is, of course... Weisbord. Uh, Weisbord, who, again, if you know anything is about... Is a real the, character. Well, no, based on a real character. It's yeah, based, based on... on yeah. um, oh, God, I, I want to say Hyman Roth, but that was the character's name in... Uh, um mm-hmm. the good uh the godfather oh this mm-hmm. is so um this is so embarrassing all right i'm just gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna look it up i got no shame about this anymore <laughs> no no don't don't look no sh- <laughs> who no, is you just he- type in bugsy it's fine if you type in bugsy it's the he's the second listed guy you know so yeah. it's not hard ben kingsley played him hit the character's name is meyer lansky there you go. That's it. Meyer Lansky. How could you forget Meyer Lansky? I know. Well, go. Because, again, I go to Hyman Roth from The Godfather when I think of that yes. character. However, Manny Weisberg is 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 also, like, Joe Wiseman does such a good job of him. Oh, with him. What a character. He's a Canadian, by the way. Oh, really? I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, ah. from Montreal. Neat. Uh, yeah, I didn't know he was a Canadian. Uh, but, yeah, he's, he's fantastic in this part. And he's great because, again, he is, he's New York's people, right? He's the guy yeah. who controls the money that comes from New York, and that's where the real power in the mob is. Now, the Chicago mob's powerful, but they're not the New York mob. And that's, that's right. where Bugs, that's where the real life Bugsy Siegel and Mickey Cohen came out of, and the five yeah. families and what The Godfather is about. Like, the, the Chicago mob's important, but the money and the power is in the New York mob, and the New York mob is how, how you, who you have to keep happy. And that's who Manny Weisbord, you know, has behind him. So without yeah. his favor, Right. Ray Luca has. Ray Luca has nothing, but he does have Ray Luca's favor. And that's who David Abraham's, uh, David Abrams' father used to work for. Spoiler alert. Used to work, yeah. David Abrams' father gets his car, uh, gets blown up when they try to kill David Abrams in the first season. And this is, and the way they try to keep the Ray Luca stuff going. And I really see this as the the biggest preview to wise guy they're like how can we justify keeping ray luke around how does this not ruin the whole show and what they do is they have david abrams quit the state's attorney's office and go to work for ray luca yeah and that is that is how they're going to justify this that is how they're going to justify keeping that side of the story going 
is they get Dave Abrams in there and then that way, oh, okay, now we got a character we like. He's going to be hanging out with Ray Luca. We're going to find out more about that world. We get into some fascinating stories about civil rights at this time. Yep. We do the, all of these interesting stories about civil rights and David Abraham, David Abrams is, you know, again, dating, <laughs> dating Pam Greer. I was uh, going to say dating Jackie Brown. Ja- Jackie Brown, <laughs> who is, of course, uh, a crusader, a civil rights crusader on the show. Yeah. And it's, they, so they managed to tell, even while they're kind of, we're, they're frustrating us, right? By focusing on, like, the Ray Luca stuff, which we know isn't going to go anywhere, because Ray Luca, it's clear, isn't getting killed by now. And isn't, isn't changing. And isn't changing. is still... He's not- He's not developing as a character. They're just going through all no. the same story beats they did in the first year, except this time he sleeps with, uh, you know, Max Goldman's wife instead of, oh. yeah, raping Polly's girlfriend. Girlfriend, right? yeah. But it's it's the same story beats. And by the way, again, he and the wife had an affair and he tried to blow him with the car. That all happened in real life, too. Uh, <laughs> like, again, so much of the movie Casino happens on this show. Like a decade before they made the movie Casino. Yeah. Well, like I think every major the, plot yeah. point. Oh yeah. No, I'm, I'm sure that was part <laughs> of it, but it's, it's interesting. Like every major plot point from the movie Casino pretty much happens Is here. in this. It's kind of incredible, really. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And so they like, well, by getting David in there, we'll show the criminal or like from the, we'll show the criminal organization from the inside out. We'll learn about it. We'll be like, it'll, it'll be a way to interest the audience. And while there is some fun in the idea that the way to, to like get, like the way to like conquer Ray Luca is to give him David Abrams, because that proves that everybody's corrupt and that he was right about his worldview. And so it's like, fundamentally, I understand why that's an appealing way for the story to go. Well, plus, of course. Please. Then, then of course, we really find out it was all a setup. Oh yeah, well, yeah. At the end, we find out it was all Duh. a setup. Duh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah Duh. Duh. Yeah. Obviously, the good but guy it's... has to be the good guy at the end. Oh, He's yeah. the only good of guy, of course, and he is the only one of them who's truly a good person. Yeah. Which is why you never really believe for a second that he's gone over to the dark side. But you understand why Ray Luca would believe it because Ray Luca wants to know that Ray Luca is right. You know. <laughs> Yeah, and David Abrams, he's known all his life and has wanted him as his lawyer all his all life. All his life, yeah. Because again, and he's wanted control over him. Yeah, he's wanted to control him. And of course, you know, later David Abrams find out what we all uh, knew. It was Ray Luca that tried to blow him up and accidentally killed his father. Right? Yep. Uh, like, we, we do find out that out later on. That gets confirmed. But the problem is, like, the stories in this second season just aren't as interesting. Right. Because because they're just repeating the beats from the first season, they try to go and do these weirder stories. Like there's this whole episode where Ray Luca falls in love with a celebrity. Yeah. Right. And then like travels to Mexico and funds a movie and like, what am I watching? (laughs) Yeah. What am I watching? That's exactly it. And it's like, if if this would like be a... Uh, and the thing that makes it so frustrating is if this would be a reason for Ray Luca to change and develop, I would understand why they did this story. But he never does. No. He remains the same guy all the time. Same strengths, same flaws. 
he he never gets different and that's what ticks me off so much about this part of the story well no that's and that's what makes it boring yeah it does get in boring. the in the end and i would say if i was to say anything about criminal minds to you know uh, it'll come up periodically of course but about criminal minds is that that was what really um put the nail in the coffin of criminal minds is none of those characters ever really developed. Well, I mean, I think I've said they it before, changed. but I'll, I'll confirm what I've said before is I knew that we were, uh, what do you call it? The, the, I'm, I'm not going to say it was, the show was going to die or anything, but it's like, I knew that the, the characters were never going to grow and change and get interesting when Derek didn't adopt Eric Close's daughter. Yeah. There's no reason for any of the stuff uh, in that episode to happen, in the Tim Curry episode to happen, if next season Derek doesn't adopt that girl. Yeah. And he doesn't. And, and it kills the character for me. And I knew the show was never going to really yeah. develop in an interesting way. It managed to end up developing a couple of times in an interesting way with Spencer Reed. But I knew that Derek was like fundamentally never going to grow and change as a character when they didn't do that story. Yeah, because they weren't going to. Yeah, and fundamentally, and it, and it. I mean, we've already talked, and you'll be listening to us talk. You will have listened to all five episodes. Yeah, and I was talking about Spencer of our, Reed. and and everything else about the show. Yeah. Um, and if you listen to our our yeah. our show things, you can hear us saying the show is starting to go right. It's yeah. going towards the cliff, you know. Yeah, and then at gonna, some point, it just it goes over that cliff. It just goes then... over the cliff, and there it is. It takes it a while to get to the bottom, but. But that's where um, it was headed, and there's like where, no excuse for it. And there is a reason why this show, I'm sure, didn't didn't last more than two seasons. Well, no, but I mean, it's what you said. the The core of the show is they're never going to catch, you know, they're never going to catch Ray Luca. They're never going to stop his crime spree, like because they needed to make Ray Luca one of the main characters. He's got a show, and like, and here's the problem: you could make this show today and make the main character of the show Ray Luca. Like, you could do that today. But the problem is, American network television wasn't ready for a show where the main character is a mobster. And so they're not able to make the show they want to make, where it's just a show about a mobster being a criminal. They have to make a show about people trying to catch the mobster. And that's great. I, I like the team. I like, you know, they, they do some interesting things. It's good drama that whole first season. But when it becomes clear they're never going to catch this guy and the show's never going to end and Ray Luca's never going to change or develop more, you're like, oh, well, then why am I still watching it? And it yeah. never finds a way to justify its own existence once you realize that it's never going to change in any meaningful way. Yeah, it, it's... And... Uh, and ultimately you have you have he's got to die just like bugsy yeah seagull died yeah as part of the narrative and again like the real tony the ant spilatro that's died died yeah Spoiler i mean alert, it, it, the because, mob got sick of him and they murdered him because he yeah. kept ha drawing too much attention yeah that's what really happened in real life but because it's a a show they can't have that happen because, well, he's one of the main characters of the show and people want to see the main characters in the show. So you can't kill off one of the main characters in the show. And but this, you had to yeah, and you had, had to. to you had to what you had to do was kill off Ray Luca sooner. Yeah. Well, no, at the and end you of the had season. to have you had to have Max Goldman taking over and him and, become 
the main character. And then there's, you meet new mob characters in the second season. And Max Goldman is already the beginning of the smooth guy. Exactly. The guy who can talk mm-hmm. to the regular business people. Exactly. And talk and, and not go crazy. And that's, and the funny thing is, is that the Meyer Lansky character, right? Yeah. Ultimately gave Ray Luca, Manny Wiseboard, right? Yeah. Gave Ray Luca too many chances. Yep. He should have gotten rid of him. Yeah. I mean, really, it wasn't so much the cops that yeah. had to get rid. Of, well, I mean, the, because the cops were hampered left, right, and center. Of course. And, and because they were blowing it so many times. Yeah. Well, no, because and the fact is, and it was like you know, but between the mob's financial influence in the government and the fact that they're willing to murder any witness, it's hard to make a case against these guys. And yeah. when in the second season, if Max Goldman had been taken over, right, and Ray Luca had died, it suddenly is a much bigger threat for the main characters because you've got this guy who isn't going around just committing crimes for the fun of committing crimes. Yeah, who isn't pissing off people who and who pissing off the mob, and it's that much more challenging for them to try to fight against. Yeah, but that would have meant that people like you see, and this is what you're watching too: is that there isn't a world, the coming world has no place for the Mike Torellos. No, and that would have been an interesting thing to address. Yeah, to to sort of address, and then you would have had the Billy Campbell. Like we're rewriting the second season of this. You would have had the Billy Ca- Campbell character, who who is very naive. Yeah, becoming and you would have this guy becoming disillusioned with the brutal world of cops. Yes, and standing for a new kind of police officer, an FBI agent who would like modernize things going into the seventies. I think that could have happened. You know, you could have you could have worked this show differently. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, if again, you're absolutely right. Like if the cowboy stuff ended at the end of the first season and the second season became about how, well, what happens when the mob becomes a corporation? Well, what happens when the cops actually start having to obey the rules? Yeah, you could have had them had that shift. Yeah. Like, I can't remember when the Miranda warning became law. It was like 1964 or five or something Something like that. that, Just after this. Yeah. You know, um, but you could have done that, right? Mm -hmm. Because it would then become much more difficult to catch the monsters, which is what we get in Wise Guy. And to get to our, our main where we're going with this yeah. is that you are seeing just how difficult it becomes. Right. Oh, absolutely. and so and and what they do with their Ray Luca character. Um, Damn. Hey, remember, remember <clears throat> the time when uh, Polly goes in like a hospital and we do like a flat, a clip, an insane clip show flashback. <laughs> what the hell were they thinking? I don't know. That happens on this show, and it's just so baffling to watch. I know they had they actually had an episode that to bring you up to date in yeah, the first exactly. actually right they had a whole episode that just caught it's you like, up on the okay, story caught you up on the whole story for the previous six or eight episodes yeah. as if people were just starting again <laughs> i know it was weird well, and that's and that is and that's the thing we got to talk about uh before we wrap this up is which i have to understand is the whole idea of like syndicated television 
well, not syndicated, but like, um, because uh, there's episodic and then there is more of a continuing narrative, right? There are shows. soap operas and there are episodes. Yes, there are soap episodic. And the thing is, the whole idea of like continuing a narrative existed in only two places, right? In television, where you watch a week and then you watch the next week for the next part of the story. That was only in two places in television. One, daily soap operas, right? And two, I mean, there were some nighttime soap operas, absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, there was Dallas. Dallas, Falcon Crest, Knott's Landing. Like, that was a thing. But this, uh, the soap operas were mostly daytime, but there were nighttime soaps. But yeah. no one did a nighttime soap that was this kind of show about yeah. a cro- about cops trying to deal with criminals and it, and you had to watch it week to week to find out what happened. That had never really been attempted. The closest thing to it, of course, was miniseries. Right. How you would you would get some amazingly popular book that was about, you know, something like Roots or Shogun, you know, or all of the John Le Carré ones where they would have this giant, really, uh, really intense, really, you know, sometimes globe spanning, but oftentimes years spanning story. And then be like, we're going to tell this over eight hours. Yeah. Right. And then you would watch four two hour movies over a couple of weeks or sometimes over a whole week, because wasn't Roots like 10 hours and they aired it all in one week? Mm-hmm. Like, that was insane. Well, it was considered so important that, that they, they had to do it that way. No, You I had to watch it. And by then, we did have VCRs. <laughs> yeah, it was a little easier. It was beginning, we were beginning the beginnings of VCRs. I mean, people don't understand that so much of this t- television prior to the 80s, if you, you couldn't. see it when it was first aired, you never you saw that it. episode. Ever. Yeah. Like you couldn't tape it and it there was no such thing as a rerun. And that's why they felt they had to do the um the the episode like the here's what happened in the last six months of crime story. So like yeah. what if people are watching it for the because they came back if after they the begin. Christmas hi- hiatus. Yeah. Right? So it's been off the air for five weeks. They come back and it's like, are people even gonna remember what this show was? So they do a whole episode just to catch you yeah, up. Just the whole highlights. I mean, it seems so weird now, but yes. Oh, yeah. And oh, and fun fact, they are, in that episode and in the Polly episode in the second season, there's a ton of um, deleted scenes. So there is actually new footage in both of those episodes. Yeah. Because there was, you know, they filmed a lot of footage they never used. So that was that was kind of nice that you got to see some bonus stuff. But it's not, you know, what you were expecting, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Uh, so you had miniseries and you had soap operas, including nighttime soaps, and then you had episodic shows. And this was trying to take and co- and, and comedies, and, well, of course, which comedies, are but yeah, which yeah. were also episodic. There's no um, yeah. The only non-episodic comedy was soap, which was a specifically a parody. Oh, but that was the '70s. Yeah, that was yeah, that was the '70s, not the. 80s. That was the '70s because remember, I've al- I think I've already talked about my problem with soap was we were living in. I had watched some of it we were in Australia and then we went overseas and then we ended up in Australia and they were showing soap, but they were always showing the episodes I'd already seen. <laughs> I never got to see what happened. Right. Yeah, until murder mystery. Yeah. Until like, because when I came back, um, okay, this guy, but he killed some, but why is he, why is he, st- why is Chester still on the show? If he was the murderer? Why? Yeah, yeah, if he was the murderer, right? Why is he still on the show? I don't get it. Yeah. And and I had missed, but there was no way to see it. To see it. 
Yeah. You can now, like you can go watch soap. It's being serialized sometimes on some channels, you yeah. know. And oh, absolutely. But by can... and large, because they knew people were only going to get one chance to watch things, they didn't put a lot of effort into building. The idea is a character is who a character is, and that character should be the same in every episode so people aren't confused. They actively yeah. discouraged writers from having characters change and grow. And I know what you think, wait, isn't people changing and growing the entire point of fiction? Yes. That's why there are very few episodic American TV shows that are considered to be great fiction. Like, yeah, well, what, Hill Street it... Blues? The Rockford Files, you know, like how many shows ever get called great examples of fiction before the golden age of television that we're all living in, right? When they started being about characters growing and changing and the shows having a definite endpoint. Yeah, it, it is. It is. It is very interesting to think about all of that, right? Yeah. Because it also goes back to my my complaints. Like, remember, I make these these crass remarks about Criminal Minds being being shot in the sixties or the fifties, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, is this what they wanted? I mean, you know, is this what they were going for? Kind of. You know, I mean, Certainly really seems that way. I mean, you may not. You may think we're being when we said it back then but we're sort of trying to explain it now yeah. what these shows were like and even though you had but here you did have continuing characters yes ray luca never changes yeah. um david abrams goes through some stuff yeah he goes through some stuff mike torello goes through some stuff yeah, and, and so does why, in yeah. Delhi. So does so does Billy Campbell. Yeah, right? so does Billy Campbell by the end. His character by the end is is sort of kind of growing up, and you have uh, uh, Walter Clemens, the black guy. Yeah, the black guy who, let's face it, again, more lines than Billy Campbell, but never really get to do much with his character. Sadly, no. I mean that is at. But it does come in when you when you're talking about the civil rights like part he's of the trying to yeah the civil rights part of the storyline you're trying he's trying to explain periodically yeah to the you other know yeah who just don't get it who just don't get it right yeah. I mean All of these, these guys guys he's surrounded by yeah who just can't wrap he's their like, heads around the issue yeah yeah and it it is really interesting because he is um. <coughs> He is almost like a fish out of water, which is he's the token black guy in the Chicago police force. Right. Oh, yeah. Is what it what it boils down to. And, um, you know, and then, of course, David Abrams, his love interest. So there you have the tension. Yep. That tension there. And David Abrams doesn't get it. No. And he's no, Jewish. And, it, and, it's <laughs> and he's Jewish. He should. And, and that's part of what's fascinating about the show is. The story of the show, um, Prime Story, is finding a way to be, like, we now, in retrospect, can look at this one season failure, right, and say, yeah. this show, the story of this show, is a TV show trying to invent modern television. And failing. It failed yeah. to invent modern television. And one year after it went off the air, or, like, uh, during its second season, actually, not even after it went off the air... During the second season, a show would successfully invent modern television, right? Yeah. A show would pull off 
what this show failed to do. And that show is Wise Guy. It would find a way to be a show on network television that captured like all of the grit and grime of these interesting cop shows that people wanted to watch with all of the really in-depth character work and changing and developing characters that you got out of soap operas and miniseries. Like, yeah, well, managed to tell a full human story while still being the kind of crime procedural people wanted to watch. And if we want to talk about uh, Stephen Cannell, yeah. he is the unsung genius of television. Remember, oh, he did do unsub, not oh, no, unsub. Yeah, um, no, it's called unsub. You were correct. It's unsub. Yeah. yeah. I know. And that's the thing. Um, he also did unsub because, and that the fascinating thing is unsub is it's Manhunt, the TV show. Manhunter, yeah. sorry. Manhunter, the TV show. We've already talked about it here. So it's like, um, yeah. you can go back and listen to our episodes if you didn't. Unsub is what if Manhunter had been a TV show? And it's amazing. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's an amazing, it didn't get picked up. And it was had eight episodes. It didn't, yeah. didn't last, didn't get picked up. It's fantastic. Yeah. But it's and... not, but it's still just, I mean, it's, it's Criminal Minds. It's just a much better written Criminal Minds. It's a way to do this kind of incredibly, this fascinating, super gritty show within the within the world of this old timey television right yeah and it is and then you know and then we get we move into um tim uh who meneers meneers uh, yeah, so. of course the inside well no i think what happened yeah. was um you've got uh didn't get picked up either i mean unsub cleared the way in a lot of ways yeah. for this for something like the x-files yeah. And then the X-Files led to Millennium, and Millennium is like what all procedurals after Millennium look a lot like Millennium. Like, yeah. the entire CSI aesthetic is weirdly drawn from the show Millennium. So it's like all of these gritty procedurals, they're all just the inheritors of Millennium. Whereas on the other side, and those are, and Millennium is the inheritor of Unsub being willing to go these really yeah. rough places in an episodic show. And then you have the other half of television, the prestige half, the famous half, and those are all the children of, uh, those are all the children of Wise Guy. Like, all of the great, yeah. uh, you know, we're, whether you're talking about Sopranos, Mad Men, whatever it is, these are all the children of Wise Guy. Hell, even Buffy <laughs> is a child of Wise Guy. Yeah, well, it's interesting, right? I mean, it's interesting to think about that when you think about Wise Guy. Yeah. As a whole, I mean, we're talking about it as a whole and not trying not to talk about the individuals. Yeah, we're going we're to show episodes whole, because yeah, we're, we're going to do those. Yeah. Because, and and what, what it did, because I think it, it, it is balanced, it managed, and I think it is because Canal, of course, is famous for what the A team? Yeah, uh, uh, you know, not just the A team, but how many of those shows did we watch? Oh God, I know. I mean, he wrote just about every sort of detective show. Every detective of the ten speed and brown shoe, and it's like he an actual ten speed and brown shoe, an actual detective show, and this is going to sound like a lie, starring Ben Vereen and Jeff Goldblum. That's a real yeah. show. <laughs> Oh no, he did all he did no, but um then there yeah. was Simon and Simon. Oh, I yeah, can't exactly. remember. Oh, no, I don't and think he was that one. But no, no, no he, he didn't had, do that. He had a formula and he had like Riptide. Well, Riptide. Riptide. Oh, Riptide. <laughs> Riptide. What a great show. That, that was, was a fun show. Joe Penny yeah. and don't remember who the other one was. 
But yeah, like he he had this formula and he would just crank out these shows. And he would just crank yeah. out these action detective shows. And some were better than others, you know. And Glenn Larson was doing the same thing at the same time. And yeah. within that, like in there's two examples. Stephen Cannell, right? On one side, he looked at he looked at one thing Michael Mann did, and that's the crazy part, is what Stephen Cannell did was he took what Michael Mann was trying to do and he made it sell in television. And like the shows didn't always work, but he's like, he figured out a way to make a show that was satisfying with all the elements that Michael Mann was trying to do and he couldn't make work. Yeah, because what happens here is that you don't have the breaks. No. You don't have the character development and you don't have the breaks. And, it's, and it keeps it from having the right kind of flow. Because, yeah. and, and I guess that's what Wise Guy really understood is people are only going to be able to watch this show if every now and then they can have a breather. Yes. And, and we by had the end of the show, yeah. they had too many breathers, but we're going to talk about that as we move into <laughs> season three. <laughs> well, yes, but, you know, I mean, they did have problems with their, uh, their, their Vinnie Tarantino with Terranova, uh, Vincent Terranova. Uh, Ken Wall had a bunch of health issues that we'll talk about as the show goes on as yeah. And we'll explain those sorts of things, but it was, um, yeah, it, Th- it was this show... honestly fascinating, but without this show, without crime story, there's no wise guy. And without wise guy, we maybe never get the, the story of the golden age of television, which we're currently because living then, it, Because HBO understands that they can do this. Exactly. HBO sees what wise guy is able to do and they invest in these long form stories. And yeah. the fact is, you look at Wise Guy, each story arc is nine, ten episodes long. I mean, they get shorter as the show goes on, but the, the premise is nine, ten episodes long. Well, what is how long is every season of a cable show? Nine, ten episodes long. It was between yeah. six and ten episodes long. Because Wise Guy figured it out. They knew how, the perfect amount of time to spend telling a story in like this uh in this wonderful hybrid episodic mini series soap opera way wise guy invented that and it would go on to define television for the next well 30 years and again if you want to know how important this was because it's not just that the show was good and impressed an entire generation of tv writers grew up thinking wise guy was the best show that had ever happened and then those TV writers went on to create all of the TV shows that you love. Yeah. Well, the funny thing is, right? Yeah, it does. Wise Guy um, proved that you could keep people engaged. Week to week. Week to week. And plus, you, of course, had uh, had DVD. I mean, DVD. No, uh, VCRs by this point. Yeah. So you could tape the episodes. Hence. hence that helped it a lot. Yeah, I mean, um, and then it got shown on things like A&E, because I didn't watch it the first time around. We'll tell the story as we start watching yes, this guy. We'll tell we... the story of how we started watching this yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah. We'll, it is we'll a pretty tell funny that. story. Yeah. Uh, it involves a nearly broken leg and a school strike. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> it's it's, stay tuned for that one. Stay tuned for that um, But before we go, do uh, you have a final thought and then I have a final anecdote? Oh, I don't know if I have a final thought. I just keep looking at all of the people that showed up in this show. It's stunning. 
it is just stunning. All these, and some of them just have bit parts. Yep. Well, and as I said, I mean, and, and the Julia Roberts, Eric Bogosian was in this. I know. Oh, Eric Bogosian's so good in this. You know, um, it is just amazing. This, these little, these little things they had two episodes, one episode. Yeah. Um, and there are all these people who become, um, well-known names oh, yeah. after the fact, you know? Um, all right. So here is a okay. funny story. Here's a funny story. To um, end. to end it on. And, uh, the show crime story is why Billy Campbell didn't play Riker on Star Trek The Next Generation. <laughs> so getting off, he got off the first season of the show and he was, and he's like, they're doing a new Star Trek. You should audition for it. Cause it's like, they could write Billy Campbell off a of crime store with no trouble at all. Right. Wouldn't be difficult in the least. Uh, so he, they, they even encouraged him, go audition, see what happens. And they loved him. They loved Billy Campbell. They thought he was fantastic. He did like the seven levels of interview you have to do to get from the casting person up to the head of the corporation. He did all of those. They loved him. They offered him the job. He accepted the job. He and his manager and his agent went down to the place to sign the papers. And then he had a panic attack because he had just gone through a year of, and I mean, Crime Story was an intense show to shoot. Like, it looked like a movie, and that took a lot of time. So, like, that season of television took them, like, ten months to shoot. So he was on the clock every day, showing up for work for ten months. It was incredibly stressful. And in that ten months, his character never developed. He barely had a line. He was just always standing around when Dennis Farina said stuff or chasing after people. Like, he never got anything to do for the whole season. He gets more to do in the second season because of his complaints, obviously. But he sat there, and he looked at this contract and the Star Trek contracts specifically lay out. You're going to work on this show for seven years. Here's what you get paid every year. Here's the days you're going to have to work every year. And he's like, Oh my God, it's Star Trek. So it's not going to get canceled. It's not being made by a network. It's syndicated. So they, they've got, they've already got the money in place to make all seven seasons of this thing, unless something disastrous happens. And he's like, what if this show ends up just being like crime story and I'm just standing around in a corner while the captain talks for seven years of my life. And he had a panic attack and he said, I can't do it. And he walked out of the building as the, like walked away from a giant stack of papers that said, you're going to be the star of star Trek, the next generation. And the crazy part is, and this is how much I guess Billy Campbell is charming. There were no hard feelings. <laughs> somehow paramount completely forgave him and he's even in an episode of the first season of star trek the next trek, generation yeah. he shows up in an episode playing a hand solo type figure yeah like it somehow he managed to pull that off not only to leave after all that but to have there be no hard feelings so yeah this is why billy campbell wasn't the star of star trek the next generation and jonathan frakes got the job instead Kind of amazing, isn't it? Yes, and Billy Campbell, I would He say, did quite well for himself. Yeah, it was, it was the right choice for Billy Campbell. Yes, I mean, I he did okay for... Yeah, he, he, he did, did right for himself. He did yeah. fine for himself. Yes, except that I always think it would have been nice to have seen him on uh, there. But. Oh, yeah. No, no. His Riker, I think, would have been fantastic. Yeah, his, it would have... His Riker, I mean, not, nothing against 
uh, Jonathan Frakes, but he's not the kind of dashing, super handsome man that Billy Campbell is. No. He just isn't. You know? <laughs> All right. Uh, so, that's that's Crime Story. You can watch it right now on Prime. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, it it's a lot to take in. It is 40 hours of television. Oh, yes. And, well, it's worth watching maybe the first season, but after Ray Luca dies... Maybe just In turn the off the show. Bomb. Maybe just turn off the yes. show because we didn't even talk about the end of season two where they go and they overthrow Nicaragua. Like, oh God. Where Ray Luca flees to Nicaragua and Mike Terrell is like, well, then we just got to overthrow Nicaragua. You're like, what am I watching? Yeah, what am I watching? You don't even want to see the Mexican stuff. Oh, yeah. It's. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, it, it is. Or the when second... Chinese spies show up to infiltrate oh, yeah. a nuclear facility. <laughs> What? Where is has this show forgotten the point of this show completely? <laughs> it was just, oh, you know. We like and, to pretend. And, we like to pretend season two didn't exist. Is yes, that fair yes, to we, say? Yeah, that that's fair to say. We want Ray Luca to have died. Yeah, and, and everybody more, lives happily ever after. Yeah. Well, no. Well, and again, as you pitched, like there could have been a much more interesting second season. And it's not like the second season with, was without its charms. Like, as you said, the, the, as you said, when we were briefly broken there for a second, uh, the, the George Zunda episode <laughs> where he plays a, a Russian guy, pilot who wants to defect, defect. And we didn't even mention what Ted Levine gets to do in this show, because at one point, professional thief Frank Holman, since he's living in Vegas anyway, decides he's gonna build himself a new career as a country and western or rock and roll singer rock and roll singer like who does honky tonk and uh and rock songs <laughs> and you're like okay <laughs> well i know uh, yes uh, that's that if you could skip sort of the main stories and just do these little bits and pieces right it would have been more enjoyable than like yeah the only thing that killed the show well not the only thing there's plenty no. we've talked about plenty of the problems but it's like you shouldn't have brought Ray Luca back. There was still yeah. a good show to make without Ray Luca. And I guess the final thought is, Wise Guy, the entire story of the show Wise Guy is people looking at the show is, uh, is people looking at this specific show and saying, okay, but what if we killed off Ray Luca? Yeah. Could we still have a show? And then someone else saying, yeah, and that show would have been better. And that yes. that is what wise guy is. Yes, I'm not the I'm not the first person to have <laughs> to have, have, to have figured out that have pitched a different show. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. So, I guess we're all going to find out together next week what we've been talking about all of this time. Because starting <laughs> next week, next Wednesday, be back here for Wise Guy, the two hour movie pilot. I just want you to know going in that. Um, the pilot has a very different tone from the rest of the series. Like there's some plot stuff they abandon after the pilot and it has, it feels more like, how shall I put this? It feels more like a Stephen J. Cannell show. I think is the best way to describe it in the first season, in the first episode. Yeah. Like, so the kind of action you think is going to be a Stephen J. Cannell show. People have blown up helicopters with rocket launchers in the first episode of Wise Guy. <laughs> it is, it, it is, 
You're going to watch it, I hope, and I hope you're going to have a good time, but do not expect that the rest of the show is going to feel like the first episode of Wise Guy, because it profoundly does not. But they you could, don't even notice it when you're watching no, no, no. it, When right? you're watching you it the first even... time, you don't notice. But it's like, if you, if you like, barrel and watch them, if you binge, which I'm not suggesting you do, I'm suggesting you watch it along with us in just a couple episodes of time, but if you binge, you're going to notice a change after that first episode. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but anyway... So, all right, meet us back here on Wednesday. Watch the first episode of Wise Guy. And I know this is going to be the strangest thing I've ever said, but I'm actually going to suggest how to watch the first episode of Wise Guy, which is it's on Prime. So you can watch it all on Prime. No trouble at all. But, and this is the slightly weird part, Prime has this weird fascination with putting synopses for the episodes that give away the entire plot of the episode beginning, middle, and end. Like, it's yeah. it's not a encourage you to watch the episode synopsis. It's a true synopsis that lists every single thing that happens in the episode. So I'm going to encourage you to not read the synopsises. And I'm going to encourage you to, you don't have to skip the tonight on Wise Guy. But for whatever reason, and this is another thing, if you weren't alive in the 80s and 70s, yeah. you would not <laughs> tonight know on. that, okay, they, the one thing they had to do the only thing they were focused on was once one show ended, they had to keep you from changing the channel to another show. That's what every network thought. So what they did was they said at the start of every episode. So basically an episode of Doogie Howser MD would end, right? Probably not Doogie Howser. It's not important what aired before it. But then like the minute it ended, there would be a thing that came on that said tonight on Wise Guy. Yeah. And then it would show you the basically the whole plot of the episode. Like, all of the most entertaining things or violent things or dramatic things that happened in the episode, they would just throw it all right at you in 15 seconds. And... and Sort of like movie trailers. These were TV episodes. It was a trailer. Right. It was a TV episode. It was a trailer for the episode of television you're about to watch. Yeah. So, I don't think they should have done that. Uh, but I understand why they, they did, did it in all the shows. Oh, no, 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 I know that. But what I'm saying <laughs> is well, a show like Wise Guy is uniquely harmed. Like yeah. Hunter was not hurt by doing that. No. Simon and Simon was not hurt by doing that. <laughs> Wise Guy, because of the way the episodes are structured, and it's much more like a modern episode of television. Like imagine you're watching Breaking Bad and, the, and at the start of Breaking Bad, they're like, here's everything that's going to happen in this episode of Breaking Bad. In, in 15, 15 seconds. seconds. Like, <laughs> that would kind of kill the show for you, right? And that is because Wise Guy was a show so far, and I can't say it's ahead of its time. I was about to say so far ahead of its time. But it's not really ahead of its time because it's what created all the other shows. It's just where all this started. So what I'm encouraging you to do is, A, don't read the synopsis season. B, maybe hit that fast forward button twice. Right? When the episode starts. So you don't watch The Tonight on Wise Guy. Now, that's going to be my last... I'm not going to tell you how to engage with the show after this. This is simply a recommendation for the, what I feel kind of the best way to watch the show. It's entirely up to you, but I would encourage you to try this. Okay. Uh, so I guess that's that. If you have any questions, if you have any comments, if you'd like to recommend another TV show you think we should look at, or movie, whatever. We even read books sometimes. Drop us a line at profilingcriminalminds at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you were listening to this on some sort of a podcatcher or app, be sure to rate and review it because that's how people find the show. 
I'm I'm kind of looking down the barrel. Um, and I don't mean to be a little wise guy at all, but I was never stressed once for uh at the prospect of talking about 15 seasons of Criminal Minds, because Criminal Minds, like A, it ain't that hard to understand. B, if you get it wrong, well, you're just misinforming people about Criminal Minds. You know, <laughs> it's not an important show, but it's like, I actually feel, and I mean, this is a podcast. It doesn't matter. The show's going to exist, whatever we have to say about it. But at the same time, I think fundamentally, I'm a little worried about giving people the wrong idea about what makes Wise Guy so special. Well, if we can encourage, this is what I would say. If we are encouraging people to watch Wise Guy. Yeah. And uh, maybe people will buy Wise Guy and watch Wise Guy and maybe then we'll get a decent, decent <laughs> um, version of the the missing dog. Uh, yeah. Well, we're going to tell you that story in the second season. But hey, yeah. if we can make Wise Guy, uh, if we can make Wise Guy popular enough, which is our ultimate goal here, it, it will create a world where there is a financial incentive for a corporation to let you all see beautifully remastered versions of the yes. Tim Curry episodes from the second season. Because oh. you are going to get to watch them. They are finally on YouTube, thank heavens. But they are terrible versions that were literally, like, digitized from someone's VHS copies of That's them. just what I'm going. VHS. I mean, thank God that people like... Us taped them. Taped we, things. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. I mean, it's not just them. It's all sorts of other things. But, I mean... I've thrown out a lot of John Stewart because it's all on TV right oh, yeah. now. You can find all the John Stewart's elsewhere, you but, know, and there's all sorts of things to throw out, but there are some stuff I have to keep because you, you can't, can't get, get it. it anywhere. Yeah. I it's, think, it's I think like Masada, I don't where know. Would you get I think Masada? somebody, I think somebody put Masada. Where would you get, where would you get Tom's, uh, Ted Danson starring in a Jonathan Kellerman book adaptation? I was like, you yeah. Can't buy that anywhere. No. All right. Uh, so we will see you here on Wednesday for uh, the most daunting journey we have attempted as podcasters. And if we're strong enough to do this, well, we'll be strong enough to do something else that we're very excited about. <laughs> that's going to be yeah. That's that going to be the be... roughest one of all. But yeah, uh, that's going to be really hard to do. Because well, actually, no, because you know what it is. Go this one. This one. We love this show from beginning to end, and we know that there are there are problems with it. There are there are issues. Blah 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 blah. And we will talk about that as we go. Yeah. But we love this show. Yeah. The other thing that we are going to do is going to be very different, but we also are going to be very critical at times because there are times where you have to be very critical. Okay. This is a good example, but I don't want to hint anymore for fear of giving it away. So uh, we'll end it there. See you back here as always. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here on Wednesday. Uh, But until then, I'm going to say that's right. Au revoir. And have a good week. Profiling Criminal Minds is a member of the Kinks Podcasting Network.